Ooh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And do we got another excellent show lined up for you guys. We've never done a uh, part one, part two before, but that's what we're doing today. Of course, if you missed it on the last episode, go back and check it out because we had Stephen Lazen, senior editor, Athlon Sports, the man responsible for putting together the Athlon College Football Preview Magazine, previewed the SEC East. We went nearly an hour talking all seven teams and just all kinds of things there with the SEC East. Now we're going to do the SEC West, the toughest division in college football. So buckle up for another tremendous, tremendous interview with Stephen Lazen of Athlon Sports in studio. You guys are really going to like this one. But all right, hey, SEC West, you know, going by the magazine, I don't know if it's alphabetical. I don't know if it's because that's where – all these damn Crimson Tide fans go exactly <laughs> when they grab their magazine. But Alabama, uh, you know, what's to say at this point? But they got the two best players in college football. I don't think you can really argue that, even if you hate Alabama. Uh, with, Would agree with you. They are the best. The best offensive and best defensive players. Right. Sure. Bryce Young, Will Anderson, of course. But yeah. let me ask you this. Because I'm finding little cracks in the armor here, Stephen. Offensive line. I mean, that's, that's been an issue there for Alabama for a little while. They're, they got loaded with four and five stars, but for some reason the, the offensive line has is, is been a question mark. They, hell, they had to get a Vanderbilt transfer in there, and even receiver, it seems like. You know, they're having to add guys left and right to, which I feel like at Alabama they shouldn't have to do with the way they're recruiting, but uh, any cause for concern with, with the offensive line and the receivers having to, to be rebuilt that entire unit? I, I think offensive line is probably the one area that would give me some pause, especially later in the season when you play Texas A&M and eventually mm-hmm. to play Georgia because we saw this group, especially against A&M and, and what Georgia did in the national championship game. But I, I will say, if you start looking at how the depth chart could shake out and you see Ikior and Cohen and McLaughlin on the middle, I think if you're an Alabama fan, you probably feel pretty good about that trio. Yeah. The tackle spots are a concern. I think what would give me optimism if I'm an Alabama fan would be Yes, Tyler Steen coming in gives you some stability, experienced option. Also, a new new offensive line coach, Eric Wolford, uh, coming over from Kentucky. He's been in South Carolina before. Mm-hmm. And also, maybe just the coaching change sparks. I mean, they have some of these guys who they brought in the last couple of years who rated high, just really haven't made an impact yet. So, um, you know, the, after the 2020 season was so weird and it hurt, I think, offensive line development, maybe that coaching change plus some of the guys coming in can get this group kind of back on track. I, I would expect them to be better. You know, it's also it's also one of those things, too. It's Alabama. Like, our standard <laughs> is so, you know, kind of scrambled on this that, right. you know, they could still be, like, top 15 good. And then we're, we're talking about that, well, there's a lot of question marks here. It's really just because the standard is just so high. On the receivers, I, I do. I like Jermaine Burton. I've, I liked him yeah. at Georgia. I think he was not necessarily underutilized, but I think he will be a featured player in this offense for Alabama. And then Tyler Harrell, who they brought over from Louisville, I wouldn't say the same player as Jamison Williams, but the same sort of skill set with the the big speed, uh, mm-hmm. top end speed at the end who can stretch the field. Yeah, and even at this time last year, Jamison Williams was not even that – he was not a household name by any right. means. Right, right. A part of that deep Ohio State receiver room with Alave and uh, Garrett Wilson both drafted in the first round. Another weapon for uh, Alabama would be Jameer Gibbs. <laughs> I mean, that's that's another part of it is the, you know, the transfer portal additions is that they're all like – high five-star right. impact players so you know Gibbs is a 
you know, all-purpose running back at Georgia Tech who I think will shine in the SEC, catching the ball, returns, uh, big plays on the ground. So, I mean, they may not be as dynamic on the in the in the air early on because mm-hmm. of some of the turnover, but the running backs for Alabama are you know deep once again, especially with Gibbs. Now, early in the season though, they do go to Texas, and fascinating, Stephen. I had a guy on uh, uh, just recently, Kelly Ford. He does resume and schedule rankings analytics, and he said, according to his model, that trip to Texas, you know, he, he still got it as a like a 15 point spread, but he said that's the toughest. Uh, game on Alabama's schedule because it's in Austin and everything. I was kind of floored by that. Uh, what can you tell Alabama fans about Texas? Who I don't know how in the hell they get rated. I mean, hell, weren't they five and seven last year? Yeah, I mean, I've fallen into this trap too. So I'm, I'm just as guilty as, <laughs> as as anybody. I think the first thing about Texas is Steve Sarkeesian. Like, there's a familiarity there mm-hmm. between Sarkeesian and, and Alabama. Uh, did not have a great debut last season. I don't think it's all of his fault though. Uh, the offensive line, defensive line, stopping the run, issues for Texas last year really probably couldn't be fixed in one year. They did have a weird kind of thing going on where they would be leading the third quarter and fall apart in the second half. So that's something that we'll see if Texas is a, is a deeper roster this year can make an impact. I think if you're an Alabama fan, the name's to know. Bijan Robinson, a running back, one of the best in college football. Quinn Ewers, the former mm-hmm. five-star quarterback who was at Ohio State, transferred to Texas, and they have one of the better receiving cores in college football. But also notice what we didn't talk about, which was offensive line, Mm -hmm. defensive line. So it is a tough road trip in the second week of the season. But if I'm ranking the toughest games for me, it's at Tennessee and Texas A&M for for Alabama. Mm. Uh, What do you think? You know, I try to make this point that when you beat Alabama, because, hell, hardly anybody ever does it, but once you get over that mountain like Texas A&M did, do you think there's anything to those players now? I don't care where the game's played. They've got confidence that they can knock off the Crimson Tide, that, that, that they are human. Because I feel like 90% of the teams that play Alabama, uh, you know, they're just so marveled by them. And it's just it's like an impossible task to beat them. Do you think that at all plays into the psychology of, of that matchup, Texas A&M at Alabama? Absolutely. Well, I think, first of all, the whole psychology of this matchup this offseason is fascinating because of what's <laughs> happened with Jimbo and, and Nick Saban. I mean, it's just it's been such a it's been such an unusual kind of uh, path for these two with Fisher and Saban mm-hmm. and what happened last year. And in a game that, I mean, idiots like me had Alabama winning, you know, easily and Texas A&M goes out there and stuns us all. And after, right. you know, didn't didn't even think there was going to be a possibility based upon the way they played. So I think the the dynamics around this offseason have added a layer of intrigue to that game. I think certainly once you topple the Giant, it becomes a little bit easier. But, man, going on the road in Tuscaloosa (laughs) with Bryce Young, Will Anderson, everything that's gone on, revenge factor, that's going to be pretty tough. Those fans are going to be fired up for that one. You know what? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so moving next to where Athlon, I assume, is Arkansas. Bingo. Uh, I'm the biggest Arkansas homer out there that's not from there or went to school there. So I'm high on the hog, so to speak. Uh, I know Athlon is as well. Uh, thoughts on, I mean, hell, we all know they got a ridiculous schedule, but I would make the argument, I always do, that they got the best coordinator duo in the SEC. And they got K.J. Jefferson, who we mentioned. Uh, you know, he's a hell of a player. What are your thoughts on the Razorbacks? I think, first of all, it's it's sort of like Kentucky. It's a culture um, play here, too, because you've seen the last couple of years under Sam Pittman of, 
of the development and growth of this program. I mean, they, you know, they just, the fact that they're even, you know, four and four and trying to be five and three and six and two in the SEC is huge considering right. how much of a struggle it was at the end of the Bielema and Chad Morris era. So I think you can look at Kentucky and see some similarities as far as program growth and development and optimism. It starts at the quarterback position. I mean, KJ Jefferson is one of the best in the SEC, but I also think there's more on him this year because of Traylon Burks leaving. And that's right. that's really my biggest concern with this team is playmakers on the outside. You know, it, do they have a number one receiver or do they have a bunch of number two, number three types? So yeah. I think that to me that Arkansas is in a place where they have, yes, they have a tough schedule. They get Ole Miss, they get LSU at home, they get Missouri and South Carolina in the crossover. That's pretty favorable combined with just the growth of this program under Sam Pittman and K.J. Jefferson coming back is one of the reasons why I like this team as a uh, top 25 team. We're also in this range of the SEC West where three through six <laughs> is really difficult to sort out, but it's it's hard to pick against Arkansas when you have a quarterback like K.J. Jefferson coming back. And what can you tell Arkansas fans about uh, right out the gate Cincinnati coming to town? Of course, a college football playoff team, but they lost a lot. But uh, they're bringing back some some nice pieces as well. I think it's still a dangerous game. I know they lost Desmond Ritter, and they lost some of those guys off the defense, including Ahmad Gardner and uh, Kobe Bryant, their standout corners. But Cincinnati is one of those group of five teams. You know, If you go back to when Boise State was at its peak and every year they would just reload to the next wave mm-hmm. of guys, that's kind of where Cincinnati is. So uh, you may remember Corey Kiner, who played at yep. LSU. He's over at Cincinnati now. Th- this is not the, – the front-line names have changed at Cincinnati – but I still think this is a very dangerous game for, for Arkansas. I would not take Cincinnati lightly based upon the track record and development they've been having under Luke Fickle. Now, I, I know you're, you know, you're so high on Alabama, but here we go, middle of the schedule, October 1. Uh, I mean, Arkansas, it's, it's going to be a tough climb because they got Cincinnati, South Carolina, both at home, Missouri State at home, it should be a gimme, Texas A&M, neutral field. You know, it's not a complete stretch to say Arkansas will be undefeated. Again, it's going to be very difficult given those four teams, three in particular, of course. But if they're undefeated and Alabama's coming to town undefeated, I'm I'm just I'm giving the Hogs a fighting chance in that one. Could that be Alabama's toughest uh, regular season test? Arkansas only lost to them by seven last year right. in Tuscaloosa and gave them all kinds of trouble. So. Another close game would not be a surprise. I mean, I think you have mentioned it before. Like once you play them close, it seems like next right. year it doesn't it, uh, it doesn't go so well for you. Uh, I think you know a couple things that you know for Arkansas to a game like that. Like by then we'll have a better idea of like the receiving core. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, a lot of new faces. I mean, they only have you know they only have nine returning starters as a team. But I also think picking them in the top twenty-five is sort of a testament that yes, they have a lot of roster turnover. We just believe in Sam Pittman and, and K.J. Jefferson, Barry Odom, and Kendall Bryles figuring things out. But I think that where, how far the defense progresses early in the year will probably be pretty telling by the time we get to those A&M Alabama games. So I can't write them off. Still, I still think Alabama's going undefeated this year. And I know recently you mentioned you saw my coordinator rankings. Uh, you know, some people take issue with Barry Odom as, as the best defensive coordinator. I factor in, you know, what he's had to work with. And, the, and what he's got done with this Razorback team, uh, where would you put Barry Odom in, in that class? Right at the top. And, and also our coach scouting in the magazine was very high on mm-hmm. Barry Odom. No, I mean, no surprise. I think he's you know one of the top coordinators in college football. We saw this 
last year, I think a testament to his coaching was right. the Texas and Texas A&M games where they won up front and ended up playing a huge role in, in the outcome of those games. So I think while the stat sheet, you know, you look at some of the yards per play, some of the, the points giving up in the SEC, yeah, they've got some uh, they've got some ways to go, but they've also been good at you know getting you know turnovers, creating pressure, winning on third downs, winning the red zone, winning those things around the margin. So I, I think looking forward to this year. Drew Sanders, the Alabama transfer, yep. is a guy who can make a difference. Uh, and they also brought in some transfers up front and, and a cornerback. So I know they're cycling through some guys, but at the same time, I still think that this defense could take a jump on the stat sheet, and Barry Odom is one of the biggest reasons why. I would I would have him right at the top, too. Yeah, Catalan got hurt. He's outstanding. And, yeah, absolutely. Slusher, I think, is a guy that's on the way up. So there's a lot to like about uh, – Defensive line is a, is a big issue, but the rest of that unit I, I love at Arkansas. Yeah, it, it almost seems like the defensive line when we were or when I was doing the the all conference team, they may not have a necessarily a all conference standout, but that group, especially if someone like Landon Jackson, the LSU transfer, plays well, and some of the other names, they might just have like a good group and kind of like they did last year when they brought in Ridgeway uh, from the FCS and Williams uh, from Missouri. So I, I believe in Barry Odom's ability to fix some of these concerns by the, by the defense by the start of the season. Yeah, and then one guy we, we didn't mention, uh, Scott Fountain, the special teams coordinator, all three of the coordinators have been there the entire time under Sam Pittman. And I think, you know, in today's modern era of college football, I think there's, there's something to be said for that. And I, I'm not trying to compare them to Clemson, but I think Clemson, you know, obviously they got talent and they've nailed these quarterbacks, but I think their big run was in large part to staff continuity and that's not something a lot of these SEC programs can sell like Arkansas has got. Uh, no question. I mean, I think that there's different kind of coaches in college football, like some that are very hands-on, some that are very X's and O's, some will call the plays. But And, and I don't mean this like in a, in a negative sense. Like I think Sam Pittman understands who he is as a head coach. Like You don't have to be the guy that's calling the plays every day. Mm-hmm. Dabo Swinney's great at being like a CEO, setting the vision, setting the culture, saying – this is where we, you know, we need to recruit here. These are the things that are right. going to be important. And so, when you're a coach like Sam Pittman, you can go out and hire good coordinators. And so, you hired two great coordinators. It's one of the better coordinator pairings in college football. So, I think understanding kind of your strengths and weaknesses as a head coach and keeping that group together, and also, you know, the culture around Arkansas. I mean, we see this after, every time they win the games. You know, turn the turn the jukebox on and celebrate. <laughs> so, you they have great culture, which means players want to stay, players want to come. And then not to mention they want to keep the coaching staff together as well because of that camaraderie. Yeah, no doubt. All right, next in Athlon, you got Auburn, Auburn Tigers. Uh, man. Anything been going on this offseason? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everything and everything is going on uh, at Auburn, but they still got a lot of talent to work with. It's not like this, this is a cupboard that's completely bare. Uh, you know, they – and I, I like to joke, of course – you know, if you think Auburn, you, you expect nothing from them, they'll stun you. you. You put them high in the standings, they'll be a complete disaster. So this could be a, a breakout team in the SEC. Uh, I know a lot of staff turnover, but what what's your thoughts? Uh, I mean, there's so many questions with Auburn, but where would you go with, with the quarterbacks? Because we've seen high and lows from Calzada and Finley and then Robbie Ashford. Where would you go with that thing? Yeah, that, man, that's a great question because I think we've seen – that these, I mean, Ashford had a great spring game. We mm-hmm. don't, I think we know probably the least amount him from right. based upon uh, game action in the regular season. Calzada had the great win against Texas A&M, uh, against uh, Alabama at Texas A&M. He was also beat up too last year. So, and he's still right. kind of dealing with that through the spring. Finley was also 
beat up. It feels like Finley and Calzada have something to work with. The question is, what kind of level can you get that to? I, I would probably start Calzada if I was calling the shots at Auburn. I think in general, I think maybe it is a good thing that they are a little bit under the radar. I mean, for everything that's gone on, last end of last season, mm-hmm. the five-game losing streak, the chaos with Harson status um, in, in you know, January and February. So, I mean, it's not, there, there is still plenty of talent here. There's just a lot of questions. And also, I think you get into that scenario where if they're sitting there later in the season and the, the win total's not there – you get those question marks about the coaching staff again. Yeah. Well, speaking of the coaching staff, I, I had a Auburn beat writer on a couple of months ago. He said that Derek Mason just hated Harson and, and hated working for him after being together. So, I mean, you look at it on paper and you say, well, this is a downgrade at defensive coordinator to Jeff Schmetting, which it may not be because I don't know much about Jeff Schmetting. He was but, good at Boise State and, he, you know, having that familiarity with Harson. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, if we – many people may perceive that because I, I think Derek Mason will do great at Oklahoma State with what he's got to work with. But could it possibly be an upgrade with just, you know, familiarity and, and not having that angst or whatever you want to call it in that locker room? Yeah, I think to go back to Arkansas, the, that staff, like, you know, that staff togetherness, that you know, camaraderie that you have, like maybe they're a little bit more cohesive this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, I, I mean, I, I – I think Harson needs some guys who know the SEC and understand it to be able to recruit and be able to um, just understand the league. It's what Brian Kelly had to do this year at LSU. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I think there is something to be said about trusting you know guys you've worked with, hiring them, and trusting them to do the job. And he clearly either didn't trust his staff last year, or maybe it was a combination of a lot of a lot of factors there. So I, I, there's something to be said about familiarity, but I also think that. If I was hiring coordinators, Derek Mason would be the guy that I would hire right. over Smetting. And I think back to that Alabama, excuse me, Auburn, South Carolina game where I believe it was like fourth and one, fourth and two. You got Tank Bigsby, and what do they draw up? They draw up like a play action deep shot to a tight end who was triple covered, and it's like <laughs> I don't know who called that, Harson or Bobo, one of them, but. Uh, Let's hope for Auburn's sake that was Bobo that called that because maybe we'll get more on the same page. But it just seemed like nothing was on the same page late last season, did it? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think Harson is likely going to call the plays this year, it seems like, for for Auburn. So I think that is a positive. I think for all that's gone on, I still think Harson's a pretty good X's and O's coach. And I think we saw this last year starting 6-2. and two, I think we saw some improvement out of Bo Nix. I don't want to be part of the Bo Nix meme or anything like that. You know, he's gonna, uh, but I, I do think I trust Harson to figure some things out. I think the problem with Auburn, though, is you can go up and down their positions and see, do they have some guys at receiver that can stretch the field? Uh, offensive line, they've got a lot of guys back. They've been pretty inconsistent at that group. The strength of that team is the running backs with yeah. Bigsby and Hunter. But also I think it gets at the, the problem, which is there's just not a lot of margin for error. And so they really need one of those quarterbacks to step up and improve the passing game because and we've talked about Arkansas and we'll talk about others. There's really not much of a difference between you know three and six in the West. If Auburn can get better quarterback play, they've got a good defense, they've got good running backs, but that margin for error is just so small that it feels like this is a team that's going to have to win a lot of 24 to 20 type games in order to get to that next year. And, you know, speaking to uh, not having much margin for error, uh, I'm, I'm curious to know where you lay on this because it's, uh, you know, a lot of people have Auburn as literally the toughest job in the country because, of course, you're in the same state as Nick Saban and that juggernaut. You got 
on the east. You got to play that juggernaut. So as the SEC is currently constructed, I mean, not only do you got to go through the rugged west, but you literally have the toughest path with your two annual opponents. Uh, where where would you be at with uh, Auburn? Do you think it is the toughest job in the country? It's kind. Of, I guess it's kind of tough to to say toughest because I often think like if you're talking Power Five Maybe jobs, Vanderbilt. it's like Vanderbilt, <laughs> Vanderbilt, Kansas, Duke, Wake right. Forest. You know the smaller schools, um, but the academic challenges. So I, I think it's one of the more unique jobs in college football because of we've seen. I mean, you know, just Auburn being Auburn, some of these right. things that have happened. Um, but it also is a job that you've seen. You can win the national title here. You can potentially push for a playoff spot. So I, I think there's. That it maybe had the widest variance of yeah. you know they we've we've talked about it in previous years of just being a wild card team like it just seems like a wild card program like one year you could be <laughs> eleven and and one it'd be after being picked you know seventh of the west it'd be six and six after being projected to finish in the top ten so it is it is a fascinating place and it's only going to get even more intriguing if this year if this is a team that is you know six and six at the end of the year or worse depending right. on what happens but one thing we haven't hit on with the Auburn Stephen is the schedule. I mean, right out the gate, you got a ton of home games. Mercer, San Jose State, Penn State, Missouri, LSU. I mean, if things break right, you could be 5-0. and You know, but, but that the key to that all that is going to be Penn State. So I was going to ask you, I know uh, on your YouTube channel you just previewed Penn State. So what can you tell Auburn fans about the challenge of, of Penn State coming in? Yeah, shameless plug. There is a, uh, <laughs> a, a preview of uh, – of Penn State up on my YouTube channel, and you know I think this is a team that has is eleven and eleven over the last two years, and they've sort of underachieved. And I think it's kind of a critical year to see if James Franklin has his program going in the right direction. Of course, Auburn lost in Happy Valley last year, a team that's got question marks at line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, and a little bit of uncertainty at quarterback. Sean Clifford's a veteran, but I think you know it's a question of what's the the ceiling there. Can he take it to another level? So I think if you're Auburn, getting Penn State early in the season at home after losing close last year, and I think you could argue maybe this Penn State team is not as good as last year. That this should be a winnable game for Auburn, and I think it's one they probably have to have considering uh, the second half of that schedule still playing A and M and in Alabama. So. I, with eight home games and Penn State coming in, I think that's the path to me for Auburn to get to six, seven wins is, is beating Penn State and holding serve at home in some of those games. Mm. All right, next uh, on Athlons Magazine, we have got the LSU Tigers. So much turnover there with the coaching staff, with the personnel. Uh, you know, only two seasons removed from a national championship. I have not a clue what to make of this LSU team under Brian Kelly. So how difficult was it to peg them uh, in Athlon this year? Fair to say they're maybe the biggest wild card yeah. team. It's like Auburn maybe transferred its <laughs> wild card designation to, to LSU this season. Just six returning starters. It's you know it's the fewest of, of any team in the SEC West. I like the Brian Kelly hire. He's won everywhere. Grand Valley State, Central Michigan, Cincinnati, Notre Dame. I think he'll do the same thing. At LSU, I also think one other positive for this is that, you know, it feels like LSU has always been so volatile the last couple of years. It feels like they're going to have a level of stability mm-hmm. with Brian Kelly there. And certainly he'll have to adapt to the SEC. I'm not worried about the fit. I think there's just so many, so many unknowns with this roster. I mean, the offensive line is, is a question mark once again. Who starts at quarterback? Defensively, the transfers in the secondary I think are good. The question is, how does all that mesh together with 
transfers and, and new coaching staff. So, I mean, we have them outside the top 25, but to me, this is a team that is going to get better every week during the regular season, especially if they can settle uh, the quarterback position and get through some of that staff transition. Should find out early how good they are because I think Florida State in that first game of the year can challenge them. Yeah, so, you know, unfortunately, I, I feel the same way. I think they'll be better at the end of the season, but right out the gate, they got that challenge. It is in New Orleans, so should be home field advantage there against Florida State. But what can you tell LSU fans about uh, the challenge they'll have facing FSU? I think it's a team that's improving under uh, Mike Norvell. Um, obviously, the biggest storyline at Florida State was the Travis Hunter. You know, he didn't go to Florida <laughs> State. He went to Jackson State. And there was the fire Mike Norvell space that went on for uh, for forever. I think it's, it's still going. I think it's still going. Yeah, it might go on this year. Florida State loses that game. But I, I think you, know, you saw last year that they were basically one bad play away against Jacksonville State from going to a bowl game, which was a step forward from the previous year. It is not the Florida State that you're, you're thinking of like in under the 90s and then in, under Jimbo Fisher. They are in re- rebuild mode. Their offensive line has not been very good, inconsistent quarterback play. If you're looking ahead to this year, uh, Jermaine Johnson, who was drafted early in the NFL draft, is gone. They have some question marks at the, at the defensive end spot with some turnover there. Jordan Travis, their quarterback, though, dynamic, kind of dual threat, guy that can run around and make plays, has progressed as a passer. So I think that will be a good challenge for that LSU uh, defensive front, which I really like, and their secondary, because Florida State's tried to improve their receiving core to the transfer portal. So it's an improving Florida State team, but maybe not the Florida State team that we're used to seeing from, you know, uh, eight, nine years ago. Right, right. So almost safe to say there, there's probably going to be a lot more pressure on Mike Norvell than there will be Brian Kelly. Yeah, I think – Certainly, it's the SEC and it's LSU, so I'm always hesitant to say, well, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no expectation of, of winning there. But I think when you look at what LSU inherits, just the, the turnover at offensive line, the quarterback position, um, the fact they were 6-7 and seven last year, I think Brian Kelly should get a little bit of a grace period here. And LSU still has good players in the program. I mean, you look at Mason Smith and you look at some of the guys that they have still on defense – the gap between LSU, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, it's not very much. It feels like one of these teams is going to come out of this group and ended up kind of exceeding our preseason expectations. And when you have a roster like LSU plus the coaching staff, that this to me is a team that is going to be very hard for us to figure out this preseason but might surprise us during the year. Now, moving aside from Alabama, because that's an obvious answer, what, what do you think is the toughest test on LSU's SEC schedule here is it the season finale at A&M I mean that's going to be difficult uh traveling to Arkansas at Auburn at Florida what do you think will be that toughest test I'll give you kind of a weird answer I think it's at Arkansas because if 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 I'm LSU and I know coaches don't think this way but A&M is going to be favored anyways Alabama is going to be favored in that game Arkansas is one of those swing games. They lost, you know, LSU lost close last year. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking about how does how does LSU get to five and three or higher in the SEC, like you're going to need to win at Arkansas because you right. get Ole Miss and Mississippi State at home. So for me, if I'm LSU and I'm sitting there trying to plot how do we finish higher in the West, to me it goes through winning at Arkansas because then you sort of get that tiebreaker and all these teams being clustered together is going to be important. Yeah, and interestingly – Arkansas had some guys transferred to LSU. LSU had a guy transferred to Arkansas. So, man, all kinds of yeah, mixing just, the blood there. You know what? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, I think 
the transfer portal has added a layer of offseason intrigue. I mean, I think it's made things more interesting, and it uh, it adds an opportunity for teams like LSU and Arkansas to get better right away when you have personnel issues. You can just go into the portal and get somebody to help you right away. So there's some there's some kind of you know good and bad with the portal. I know, but I mean, th- I think for for me as a college football fan, it's just made it more interesting. And, and last thing about LSU, what's your thoughts on their special teams? Because I know they added a transfer, but you know, it seems like uh, that's been a real issue for LSU in, in the past. And if they are, you know, there's a glut of these teams. You you need standout special teams if you're gonna. That could be the difference. Yeah, and they hired Brian Polian, uh, who was at Notre Dame, is a good special teams coach. So that should help a lot. Uh, obviously, Cade York leaving mm-hmm. is huge. So I think you you are right when you talk about the margins for some of these teams. It's it's spe- you know winning on special teams, winning close games. Uh, winning the turnover battle, also you know quarterback play too is just so crucial because we look at LSU and you've got a couple options there. We think we feel good about Arkansas under KJ Jefferson, Will Rogers at Mississippi State. So yeah, I think everything in these teams is going to matter a lot when the gap is very small. All right, next in the Athlon book, we got. Mississippi State. I mean, this is a this is a tough team to peg as well. Bringing a lot back, uh, according to Bill Connolly, and I just had another guy, Kelly Ford. I, both of their analytics say Mississippi State brings back more production than anybody in the SEC. And based on you know how this team was clicking in November, I mean that's a that's a hell of a thing. Will Rogers threw for nearly five thousand passing yards. He, he broke the record for passing yards, passing touchdowns. Uh, could this be a team that not enough people got their eyes on in the West that, you know, if Mississippi State takes that step up, they, they're going to be a tough out? No question about it. I think if there's a team that we're low on in the, in the Athlon 131, it might be Mississippi State. We have them 30th, and we have them 6th uh, in the SEC West. The hard part about this team is if you look, didn't, didn't look at the schedule, you just looked at the depth chart, you go, yeah, I think they're probably going to finish higher. But you know, getting Kentucky on the road, Georgia at home in in conference play is one of the tougher crossovers mm-hmm. uh, for teams from the West. Not to mention the Egg Bowl being in Oxford this year too. So the path to finishing higher is very difficult. Uh, so I that was really the only thing that held me back from picking them higher was I think they're probably going to be better than their record says at the end of the year. I like the fact that they're in the third year under Mike Leach with Will Rogers and, you know, some of the receivers that they have, probably the biggest concern is that offensive line. And when you lose the two tackles, Charles Mm -hmm. Cross being so good uh, on the left side. So there are some concerns, but they have the most returning starters of, of anybody in the SEC. It's the third year under Mike Leach. The offense is clicking. So yeah, I, I, I could see if we're wrong about a team in the West, it's probably Mississippi state. And Mississippi State, they always got such a weird non-conference. We got Memphis, which, you know, obviously there was some controversy why you lost that one. But at Arizona, uh, what can you tell Bulldog fans about Memphis and and at Arizona? I mean, you got to assume Mississippi State's going to be favored in those ball games, right? Absolutely. So Memphis is picked somewhere in the middle of the American Athletic Conference. Definitely not a Cincinnati or Houston or or UCF. Those are the top three. Memphis Falls. Uh, somewhere in that middle tier. I'd say still dangerous, but I, I think 
probably the player that Mississippi State fans will be most excited to hear about, Calvin Austin, is gone. He's no longer <laughs> at Memphis, so they don't have to worry about him and his uh, his big playability on returns or or on offense. So I, I would suspect Memphis is going to be right around six, seven wins. Arizona is picked at the, you know, depending on where you look, they'll fall four, five, or six somewhere in the Pac-12 South this year. Total rebuilding effort for the second-year coach, Jed Fish. They brought over a transfer from Washington State, Jaden Delora, and a transfer from UTEP, Jacob Cowan, a receiver. They're going to be much improved on offense, but I still think when you look at some of the other pieces around there, their defense wasn't very good. Um, offensive line struggled. Despite Arizona getting better, I think that's a game Mississippi State should be favored in and should win. Now, and, I, you know, a lot of people, when you talk Mississippi State, we know what we're getting from the offense. But what about the defense with Zach Arnett? You know, this this feels like this team can only go so far as the, as the defense, you know, forcing turnovers, making big plays, making stops. Uh, do you get confidence in, in Zach Arnett and this defense that they can be a, a quality unit in the SEC? I do. I think Zach Arnett's very underrated as a as a defensive coordinator. Um, you know, we we talked about the level of experience coming back. I think if there's one uh, concern, it's Emerson and just the entire secondary as a whole. They've brought in some transfers to build up the depth and sort of alleviate some of the concerns there. I think the the front, especially with the linebackers, being probably one of the better groups. Uh, in the SEC, kind of a, a good collection of bodies up front in the defensive line. I think this defense can take a step forward. I think the secondary will probably be their biggest concern coming into the season. We'll see if those transfers help. They should get a lot of help in practice because they're going to be practicing against <laughs> Mike Leach's offense. So, but, yeah, I, I like this Mississippi State team just from a personnel and experience and kind of where they are under Mike Leach. In the special teams, they got good returners, uh, but kicker was just a huge, huge issue now they're bringing in a guy from Coastal Carolina, Massimo Biscardi. Yeah. Hey, there you go. You know him, so you yeah. know your stuff. And he was outstanding. So, uh, assuming he's the starter, I mean, that's a massive upgrade, right? No question about it. Because we were just talking about um, Arkansas and LSU in the special teams. The fact that if you start thinking about, okay, well, you may play in five games that are decided by one score. You now have an automatic kicker, and maybe Mike Leach trusts him, and he doesn't have to go forward on fourth down, you know, five times a game or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I think it seems weird to say this, but all these teams are clustered so close together that even you know a, a boost, a kicker, having somebody who goes from having the worst kicking situation to being middle of the pack could be the difference in a couple close games because we saw what it meant in the game against Arkansas last year and other close games as well. Mm-hmm. All right, next on the docket in Athlon Magazine, we got Ole Miss. And this is a team, Stephen, I cannot put my finger on for the life of me with the turnovers there, the the portal king there, yeah. Lane Kiffin, <laughs> adding players left and right. They should have plenty of talent. They really need to, uh, you know, hope, I think, Jackson Dart. I've watched him. He's got massive potential. But we don't even know if he's going to be the, the quarterback. I love Michael Trigg, the tight end. I think Zach Evans. I don't think he's quite lived up to the hype, but I think in this offense, I think he will. Uh, I agree with you. What's your makeup of, of Ole Miss this year? The grand experiment in college football, right? <laughs> because you're, you know, it's going on at USC. It's the transfer portal. You and I have have talked about it. Is how fast can you replace elite players through the portal? to try to maintain your place in college football. Mm-hmm. Because um, you know, Ole Miss won 10 games last year. Uh, it was the first time in the regular season. Right. And, and so you're replacing Matt Corral, replacing some of the other players, it's gonna, it would be hard in a normal year. 
Mm-hmm. It's even more difficult when you brought in all these transfers and you lost both your coordinators and you're trying to figure out how it all kind of meshes together. So I think from an intrigue level, I'm very fascinated just to see what happens here because we've never seen this level of you know, transfers being brought in to put together a roster. So there's already that level of fascination, but the transfers they brought in are high-level impact transfers. You know, I think Zach Evans and... Ulysses Bentley, the transfer from SMU, that's a good one-two punch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jalen Robinson, Jordan Watkins at receiver. like They've reloaded all, almost every position that they lost, they've <laughs> added. And it really comes down to quarterback play. Like, Is Jackson Dart the guy or is it Luke Altmeyer? I, I think Altmeyer is, I think, depending on who you listen to or who you talk to, you know, the gap was either closed or they're, they're close together exiting the spring. I think Jackson Dart is the guy with the most upside. And probably if, if Ole Miss wants to get back to 10 wins, he probably needs to be their quarterback uh, this season to try to reach that level. Yeah, and if I'm an Ole Miss fan, I look at Kiffin's history. Uh, when he was at Alabama, of course, we all know. I mean, they would go from Derrick Henry running 500 times a, a game to to centering the offense around Amari Cooper, was one of the best receivers we've ever seen in the SEC. But that was a single offseason they made that switch. He comes in to Ole Miss during a COVID year. He's talking about how what a nightmare this COVID is, which I'm sure it was, but that offense was incredible right, right out the gate. And then, of course, last year, uh, you know, the, the record-setting season. So if there's anyone that is going to take all these moving pieces and, and make them fit, I think it's going to be Lane Kiffin. But the season may not depend on this offense because we got confidence that they got the pieces, they got the coaches. They lost D.J. Durkin. That's a huge blow. They lost their special teams coordinator, I believe, to Texas. So we, we've got some, some moving pieces on that side of the ball. How big of a loss do you think that is losing D.J. Durkin, who uh, that defense really carried the team late late last year? Yeah, it was huge. You know, I think they were about what gave up 14 fewer points a game last year compared to 2020. And, and of course, Durkin getting hired at Texas A&M is, right. is good for Texas A&M's defense, not so good. For Ole Miss, I think the the good news for Ole Miss is that continuity. You know, they just promoted from within the same scheme. It's not a huge change. I I think there are a lot of question marks about this group. I, I like the transfers they brought in at every level. It sort of fortifies some of the question marks that they have. I think they'll miss Sam Williams and the pass rush that he had last year off the edge. So I, I think I, I don't doubt Kiffin and Ole Miss and the ability to score points. I think that the defense probably will be may not last year giving up about 24 25 points a game probably either could have trouble replicating that or may not be as good as last year and that may play into why you know we have them at you know eight and four kind of middle of the pack in in the uh, sec west now is there an sec game here that you could see that uh you know at lsu will be incredibly tough at a&m alabama at home at arkansas uh i don't i don't know if those will be upsets considered or not but if let's let's assume Ole Miss is underdog in all those games, I'm I'm not sitting here saying they will be, but if they were to to pull an outright upset over that four game stretch at LSU, at A and M, Alabama at home, at Arkansas, my goodness, I don't envy that yeah, schedule. Yeah. <laughs> but if they were to pull the upset in one of those games, wh- which do you think is most likely? Probably LSU. I think because we you know we've talked about how volatile. LSU is, and if the passing game with Jackson Dart and some of those receivers are clicking, I like the Ole Miss offensive line they have coming back too. So you could see how 
a Ole Miss offense firing on all cylinders, mm-hmm. going up against a rebuild LSU secondary, maybe doesn't come together all the way by that point of the season, could be really tough uh, for LSU. So I, I would say LSU. I also think, too, when you start looking at the West, one reason to like it, um, Ole Miss is Kentucky at home mm-hmm. and at Vanderbilt in crossover play and then getting Mississippi State at home. So the schedule really breaks in their favor this year. Yeah, no doubt. Turnover. Right out the gate, Troy, Central Arkansas, at Georgia Tech, Tulsa, Kentucky, at Vanderbilt, Auburn. I mean, if you're not 6-1, and one, you're disappointed, I feel like. Yeah, they could be undefeated going right. into that game against LSU at that point. Exactly. So, hey, there's reason for optimism there in yeah. Oxford, no doubt. All right, so last but certainly not least, Texas A&M. Man, those fans, again, we want to hit on a fan base that's they're on cloud nine, high expectations. They've yet to win 10 games a season under Jimbo Fisher. Of course, they would have the COVID year, as they like to point out. But this could be the year they finally break through and reach that 10-game mark, don't you think? I think so. I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. I think the expectations are certainly getting higher. But also, I think there's, there's reason for that. When you bring in the number one recruiting class and you see – some of the talent that's coming through um, College Station, you know, the, the expectations and, and projections rise. Right. I think if you're an A&M fan, I think, first of all, we just talked about DJ Durkin and how valuable he was to Ole Miss. I think certainly A&M has turnover up front. They will start to cycle all the five-star and four-star guys that they have in. Yeah, poor A&M. Yeah, yeah they're just like, you know, 62 five-star guys coming through on the defensive line. I think that group's going to be fine. There's going to be some turnover, and maybe those five-stars don't produce at all SEC level right away. Uh, but, man, the secondary is going to be so good this right. year. And, and they've got, I just I like what they're building in terms of depth and talent on that side of the ball. Also, I think the quarterback room. Last year, Haynes King getting hurt against Colorado – was you know just took a, a setback to the offense but this year you have max johnson you have connor wigman the freshman it is in a much better place so overall it feels like the roster talent here is starting to build which is why you're starting to see those expectations rise and certainly i think eight and four last year was we don't know how the quarterback injury would have played out but i think it certainly played a role in this team getting to four and four in the sec and eight and four overall and you talk about that standout defensive backs. I mean, A&M may have the best defensive backfield in, in the conference. That should really serve them well, don't you think, with all the arms we got in the SEC this year? No question, especially potentially the game against uh, Alabama. We'll mm-hmm. see what happens with uh, Jackson Dart at Ole Miss and certainly with LSU. But you have K.J. Jefferson, you have Will Rogers. So, and then not to mention crossover play is Spencer Rattler at South Carolina, Anthony mm-hmm. Richardson at Florida. So, yeah, I, I think coming into the season, what was interesting about doing the all SEC team was McKinley Jackson was Texas A&M's only selection for us at Athlon Sports on there. But also you can start to see like all these other guys that are maybe not established yet. Like you could see somebody out of that group, uh, you know, projection wise, whether it's Lucas or Turner or Nolan or somebody by the end of the year might be in that rising star category to make you know second, third team All-SEC by the end of the year. Now you hit on the quarterbacks. Where would you go with this one? Because every time I talk to someone down there in College Station, Haynes King, Haynes King, Haynes King, they all love Haynes King. They think he's a future superstar. And Aggies are probably tired of me even saying this, but uh, you know I, I favor Max Johnson. I do too. And maybe yeah. it's experience. 
that I've seen him. Maybe it's, uh, you know, he had his ups and downs certainly in Baton Rouge, but I think a lot of that had to do with, uh, you know, poor offensive line. I, I think they had really bad offensive play callers the yeah. last two years. So I don't know how much we can even put on Max Johnson. But uh, so you're you're more on board with me there, Max Johnson? Yeah, I think so. I, I think uh, maybe a weird way to say this, I think – Haynes King and Wigman have way more upside potentially. I think Max Johnson is not necessarily safe, but I think you know what you'll get out of him right. each week. And I think the mobility out of Haynes King could be valuable, especially in, you know potentially down the season with um, games against Alabama and, and others. I think one reason I would I would sort of lean towards Max Johnson is I think we've you know he's already established in the SEC. You know what you're getting out of him when you have to play uh, even games against App State, Miami. Arkansas at Mississippi State early like they're going to be tested right away and I think you know he'll probably do a good job taking care of the ball A&M needs more big plays out of the passing game and so I trust a quarterback like him but I could also see why they go with Haynes King I think the upside is there the mobility is a different um, sort of angle to that offense but it gets at the point I think A&M's in a much better position terms of quarterback play this year now I loved uh, Isaiah Spiller everybody did very very productive back but now we got Devon Chain coming in here human highlight reel I think he led the SEC in yards per carry uh, with like nine yards per carry something insane like that uh, could he be a guy that uh, I know A&M fans are well aware of who that is but I don't know if the rest of the SEC it, could that be a guy that could be a household name in the SEC no question I think breakout player um player on the rise, whatever kind of category uh, we, know we could use here. I, A&M fans know how good he's been. I mean, as far as, you know, whether it's returns, whether it's brushing the ball. Uh, also, it helps that A&M's offensive line is probably going to be better this year, too. Um, Steve Adazio, the new offensive line coach, who's been a head coach at BC and mm-hmm. Colorado State, a really interesting hire. So you have an improving offensive line with a player who's extraordinary talented in, in, in A-chain that I, I think he's just going to be you know, the, amount, the, the amount of uh, focus that Jimbo puts on the running game and running backs. The opportunities will be there this season. So uh, we have him pretty high in our All-SEC team. I know he was in uh, my consideration to be All-American this year. I think he's having a breakout year. And then early in the year, they, they host Miami. Very intriguing matchup. Uh, what can you tell A&M fans about the Hurricanes? And, you know, you go over this staff. I mean, I love Kevin Steele. Charlie Strong, maybe not as a head coach, but hell, he's just an assistant, assistant here. Yeah. Josh Gaddis, uh, too. Josh Gaddis, who just won the Broyles for top assistant coach. I mean, they have stacked it like an all-star staff. I still think players matter more than, than coaches, but Miami's got a pretty talented team, too, don't they? Yeah, I, I used this analogy on our podcast, so I'm going to use it again, is Miami basically took a seat. That, you know, This all the big boys table this offseason <laughs> in the ACC, pulled up a chair and said, we want to be a part of it. And it was not only hiring Mario Cristobal, it's that they committed resources to staffing, facilities, recruiting, all that stuff that you need. So Miami's not, you know, the U back of uh, that we saw in the, the 90s and, and early 2000s. But I think they'll be better this year, especially under Cristobal. They've got a good quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke. He's one of the ACC's best quarterbacks, probably one of the top 15 in college football. Big concerns, though, on defense. It was not, it was not great at tackling last year. Um, you know, kind of struggled. They've added some transfers, so I think you're, you'll see a Miami team that's evolving. I think you're if you're buying stock in Miami, it's down the road. Mm-hmm. This year, they're probably the best team in the ACC Coastal, but that's a game that A and M should be favored and should win early in the season. Now, last thing on A and M, aside from Alabama, which will obviously be just an incredibly difficult game 
to win, even though they, they did beat them last year. Uh, what's the toughest conference game, you think, uh, again, aside from Alabama, at Mississippi State, Arkansas on a neutral field, at South Carolina? I mean, none of these are going to be layups. Ole Miss, Florida coming to town, at Auburn, LSU there in the finale. Which one of those games stands out? You know, I think if I'm a Texas A&M fan, I wouldn't love the timing of those road trips to Mississippi State and South Carolina. Because you have the Alabama game sandwiched mm-hmm. in between there. You do have a bye week after playing Alabama before going to South Carolina. So I think those road trips in terms of timing are extremely tricky. Uh, certainly there's the revenge factor coming against Arkansas because of Arkansas winning last year. So I, there's a lot of intrigue for me. I think if if I was an A&M fan, the one that probably would have me the most concerned would be that Arkansas-Mississippi State stretch right before you play Alabama. All right, and then going back, just like we did with the East, going to Athlon's uh, West projections here, of course you got Alabama, number one, got them to win every dang game, as uh, exciting the, as that is. Yeah, I I, uh, I was going to read a uh, a section from our uh, coach scouting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It said, uh, if you're sick of Bama, buckle up, because it's going to be the <laughs> longest season of your life. So, <laughs> so uh, opposing coach, some brutal honesty there. So runaway – Winners in the West, I mean, not even a debate in your mind, right, for Alabama? No question. Best best team in the SEC, best team in college football. So in number two, you got A&M, which uh, not, a, not a surprise, 6-2 and two conference record. Uh, how, how big is the gap between A&M and uh, the rest of the West? I, I think A&M is a step ahead of these, and, and that's a projection because mm-hmm. that's basically us saying – that the quarterback situation stabilizes, the defensive turnover is not a big deal. I do think we have A&M at 10-2. It would not surprise me if another one of these teams jumps up to nine wins. So I think it's A&M, a little bit of a gap, but you're also getting into that range of college football where everybody is you know, clustered really close together. Mm-hmm. And number three, Athlon's got Arkansas. Uh, and and kind of like the East, we got a, a glut of teams here. Arkansas three, LSU four, Ole Miss five, but all with a four and four conference record. So margin thin, razor uh, a margin of, of separation there. Yeah, Razorbacks at the at third <laughs> there. Uh, yeah, so I mean Arkansas, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State three through six, extremely difficult to sort out in my mind. Uh, I, I liked Arkansas at three because of sort of what we talked about was the culture, the program development, KJ Jefferson, favorable home schedule. LSU and Ole Miss are just wild cards. They're really right. hard to figure out. They're, they're hard to figure out for the same reason, which is transition. It's you know coordinators. It's turnover on the roster. LSU sort of has established talent from recruiting. Ole Miss has good players, but they're trying to add more through all the transfers. So, you know, those two were hard to sort of – and Mississippi State was just a schedule thing. I mean, I, I like this team. I know Mississippi State is sixth. Arkansas is three. There's really not a ton of difference between these those the four teams. Yeah, and I know we can't just live in – hypothetical land but if mississippi state didn't have georgia on the schedule would it probably would have been a lot easier to bump them up to say four or five in the west yeah i think so i think if you trade georgia for you know missouri or or vanderbilt or somebody this year at at home in starkville i think you you get into that range of yeah they they finish four and four in the in the west and maybe we pick them ahead of LSU or or Ole Miss so I think we have them 30th in the in the nation so it sort of illustrates that you know Arkansas in our top 25 LSU Ole Miss Mississippi State right outside of that but if you told me that all three of those finished in there 
I wouldn't be as surprised. I think top 25 is sort of arbitrary because we've mm-hmm. used it for so long. But really, I mean, being top 30, there's no shame in that. It's basically right. the same thing as 20th right now. So, of course, that means we got Auburn dead last, 2-6 and six in the SEC, according to Athlon, which we just gave a kiss of death to the rest of the West because <laughs> right. Auburn's going to be money now. But uh, uh, what was it that, uh, that put Auburn dead last there? I, I think it's sort of some of the things that you and I were talking about, which was the – uh, quarterback situation and just not not knowing um, the margin for error for that team. You know, they I think the quarterbacks will determine just where this team goes with the great running backs, experienced offensive line. They have to get better quarterback play, be a little bit more, um, generate some more big plays from the receivers, and just everything that's gone on. Yeah. I mean, if if things start to spiral out of control again this year, if they lose a couple games early, what does that mean late? I, I think Auburn is very talented. It sort of speaks to the West that. Auburn is, you know, seventh here at six and six and two and six. And if they were in another conference, I think we'd pick them higher. But I just think too many questions, too much uncertainty, too much volatility too. If if things go the wrong way this year. Now, same thing I asked you about the East, even in the West, a game or two that stands out, and I have to imagine A and M at Alabama is is number one. So uh, thoughts on that game, and then if there's a, a second option in your mind. Yeah, I'm. I'm hoping it's a close game. I think if you look at the the early Vegas odds, it would tell you that it would not be a close game. But, I mean, just the offseason storylines between these two uh, makes it just so much of a, a must-see game, even if it's not super close. I think just the uh, the pregame buildup between Jimbo and, and Nick Saban will be there. I think outside of that, it is the the kind of the th- same thing we talked about in the East, the crossovers. You yeah. know, seeing like Arkansas – and A&M play early in the season. That rivalry between those two, Arkansas winning last year, was huge. It's a great test for A&M and SEC play early on. So I, I think it, it gets at the the nature of how close those teams are. And just I want to see the crossovers between the you know the LSU Ole Miss, Arkansas, LSU. Those games are always entertaining. So that, that would be what interests me the most. Well, Stephen, I cannot thank you enough for coming in here and giving us all this valuable information you having to see me sweat through my shirt doing the setup. I couldn't figure out how to f- do the freaking audio. I'm such a moron. But, I, again, I cannot thank you enough. And people need to go out there and get them an Athlon magazine like I've got. And Steven, plug the magazine. Where's the best place for people to get it? And plug, again, what you're doing there on YouTube and your Twitter. Sure. So you can follow me on Twitter, at AthlonSteven. The magazine is available at our website, athlonsports.com. If you go to the very top, there's a link to magazines. It takes you to our online store. So I always say if you're a North, if you're an Alabama fan living in North Dakota, you can get the uh, Alabama edition shipped to you. It's on newsstands as well, bookstores, grocery stores. So those are the best two ways to buy it, athlonsports.com uh, or the grocery store, bookstore. And if you want to check out uh, – more great YouTube content if I didn't run uh, all of Mike's subscribers off. It's Stephen L. CFB on YouTube. Going to have plenty of stuff in season and out of season uh, up there. Yeah, absolutely. And in the links uh, to this show, both on YouTube and Apple, anyone wants to find it, we'll put a link to that Athlon uh, so you can buy, they can buy the magazine, a link to your YouTube, uh, just an easier way for the people to find you. Absolutely. Yeah, I really appreciate that. All right, so just want to say thanks again to Stephen for joining the show and giving us so much time to give you guys some quality content. I assume most of you fans of the Athlon Sports Preview Magazine like I am, it's the unofficial start of the college football calendar when those books start showing up at the grocery store, the bookstore, 
popping up online now. You know the college football season is right around the corner. And I honestly, I don't think anyone's ever done this, where they sat down with the main man responsible for putting that thing together and just going by it team by team. So uh, really, once again, appreciate Steven. Give him a follow, Athlon Steven on Twitter. Uh, and don't forget to check out his YouTube channel. There's links to all that in the show notes. So uh, we would really appreciate you supporting Steven for giving us so much of his time to give you guys some outstanding content. But hey, that is going to do it for this episode of the show. We'll catch you on the next one.